Well, we are beginning a new series for the summer about real questions, where we invited people uh, from our community and our, our wide community to, to send in, what real faith questions do you have? What do you want to ask about God, about the church, about the Bible, uh, anything? Uh, make it open. It's free game of like, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask that. And you're like, no, ask it. Uh, because if there's any place that should be safe to, to wrestle with your faith, to ask questions, it should be in our churches, in our faith lives. It, it shouldn't have to be um, the angry person on the internet who's just throwing questions out to try to make you not believe something. Like They shouldn't ask better questions than you. If it's your faith, it's something that you should uh, wrestle with, you should think about for yourself. And so um, we are starting this series with a question uh, that comes about conversion, about kind of becoming a Christian and this kind of experience of it. And so the, the question was, if Paul had this really extreme moment where he had this conversion experience, he had this Damascus Road experience, and he has something physical happen to him, he has scales falling off his eyes, like, why is that not my experience? Uh, and I think there's a hint of something in this question, which is, maybe I haven't had a real conversion experience. Maybe I haven't actually been saved. Maybe I, like, Maybe I don't have a real relationship with God because I never had these things happen to me. And so I think there's something very real in this question, which is we all wonder, wait, am I okay with God? Has something really happened in my life? Is God and me, are we, are we okay? And we have different moments where we express this and we ask this in different ways, but I know that there are people who have been faithful people, who are, are wonderful people, who at the end of their life are like, you know, was, was I really that good of a Christian? Was I really that good with God? Was, was this all not enough? Where do I stand? And that's a, a question that you might have at the end of life. It's also a question you have during life. You're like, well, should I be doing something different? Did, have I never really experienced God? And I think there's a, a specific spot where I see this come up often to get into this problem, this tension that we wrestle with. Uh, there are, are folks who uh, might come, so, uh, you know, as a pastor, someone might ask, hey, would you baptize me? And that's like, oh, that, that's amazing. That's exciting. All right, let's talk about this. What's going on? And in Baptist circles, you have to kind of wrestle with um, some people in some communities, you're like, well, if you were baptized as a child, you, we might ask you to be baptized again, or we don't ask you to be baptized again. And in Baptist circles, they wrestle with that. Um, but I, I realize that every church is a little bit different on that front. Uh, and so what's weird or awkward about that is as someone who's studied with people from other faith traditions, uh, if I'm at, uh, you know, I did study at, at Marquette University, if I'm there with a, a Catholic fellow student or a Lutheran one or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or different groups, and you're like, well, what does it mean if you're going to baptize somebody again? Are you saying my baptisms aren't valid? You're like, no, no, no. Uh, honestly, it's not that. Uh, I, I, I fully see God at work in your ministry and your baptisms. But there are some people who like it's really meaningful a part of their journey where they want to they want to do that as a as a person who's made that decision for themselves. Uh, so it's really not about the efficacy or whether God recognizes something as valid or not. It's something else. It's pastoral in nature. It's I want to alleviate the stresses, the concerns somebody has. I want them to have the spiritual experience that they want. But it's it's not about which one's valid or what God's going to use or not use. 
And so you're trying to figure out how to walk that tightrope when you're talking to other Christians around this topic. But what happens is, is there's a little bit of anxiety. You're like, well, did this thing in my life count? And so if you were baptized as a child, you might wonder, like, well, I didn't make that decision. Did, did this count or not? But it's not just in that scenario. There are people who were baptized as even adults. And you know, then they're later like, wait, did, did, did my faith actually take hold on me? Because <laughs> I know I just... I messed my whole life up. Maybe that, for, that baptism wasn't really valid. Maybe I didn't actually give my life over to God. Maybe I need to get baptized and start this whole process over again. So I was talking with a group of pastors about this topic of, you know, do you baptize people again or not? And, uh, and trying to talk through the intricacies and, and the weird kind of tensions of that. And as we talked about it, we talked about, well, I think there's a line where if there's an anxiety somebody has where they're like, I don't feel right with God, let's just go jump in the water again, and maybe that will alleviate my anxieties. Maybe there's an underlying problem that we need to address that's not actually baptism. Maybe we need to say, no, let's look at why you're so anxious about your relationship with God. And we're having these conversations, and what was really fun was uh, a few weeks later, one of those uh, pastors was visiting somewhere, and they went to another church environment, and they saw a bunch of people come forward for like Easter baptisms. And they're like, wait a minute, I've baptized them before. I, I baptized that family. <laughs> and they were going through this weird experience of like, did, did my ministry with them, was that, did not mean anything? Or like, what's going on in this moment? But I think there's something very real in us of like, is there a way that I can make certain that I have had a real experience with God, that we're in a good relationship, that, he's, that we're okay? How do I get that? certainty. And for many of us, it might be like, if I could have a Paul experience, I could at least point to one moment that was like, man, this was so different. This was so unusual, so spectacular. And maybe that would relieve the tension in my life. And so into that tension, into this question, I want to read for us our text for today, which is from Acts chapter nine. Uh, If you're uh, new to scripture texts. It's going to talk about Saul. If we talk about Paul later, Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. Uh, same character. Acts 9 begins, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and he thought his eyes were open, but he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And at this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this man 
how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here, he has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is, I think, one of the more famous stories of the New Testament. If you go outside of the life of Jesus and the ministry of of the Gospels, this is one of the most popular stories. And it's one of those ones that I think captures your imagination uh, because something miraculous is happening, something big is happening, something different is happening. And so you've got a man who wants to persecute the church on his warpath, and he gets knocked off of his horse and off of his donkey. He gets knocked to the ground, and he must confront the reality of what he's been doing. And he's invited into something new. Now, the question that was asked was talking about what on earth happened to Saul? Because it is a little bit tricky, just even on this level. Physically, what was this experience like that day for Saul? He's on his way, and he sees light, which seems to knock him off of his horse or his donkey, and then he hears a voice, and that seems easy enough. Okay, you're like, okay, the story says light happens, falls down, hears a voice, the people around him, they don't see anything, but they hear something. That's all well and good till you read that there's more stories in Acts about this event, and in Acts 22 and Acts 26, Paul tells his own story, and the details are never the same. So in another story, everybody falls down, not just Saul, and some of them, the people uh, see something, but they don't hear something. And so you're left with, well, wait, what actually happened here? And in a way, maybe it reminds you of um, eyewitness testimony never being super uh, perfect. And so Saul, we've got three versions of the story, which creates this interesting dilemma for us of, well, what actually happened that day? what historically might have happened. And so there is some imagination of like, okay, if we're going to say that something physical happened, maybe something physical caused Saul's blindness. And maybe it's this like flash blindness of, uh, you get some certain things like even flash photography for some people, you might get an instantaneous, like momentary blindness for a little while. Um, But there's some sort of strong light, strong UV rays, things that can actually cause blindness temporarily. Uh, sometimes permanently. Maybe something like that has happened to him and his eyes are having to readjust and eventually come back to their senses. Maybe it's something external that has happened here. Uh, maybe this is like lightning. It's some sort of bright thing that, that throws off his eyes. But maybe it's not external. Maybe the light is internal, so to speak. There's some medical conjectures around maybe Saul has a form of epilepsy. He has stories about having visions, about feeling out-of-body experiences. He has seeing some lights and kind of not being able to see. And and maybe there's some sort of medical condition that this real experience for him might be internal. It might not be an external event. Uh, And then you get people who are like, you know what? We've got three versions of the story. 
the, the author is just trying to tell you something trope-wise that what would knock you off of your horse, what would get you to understand what he's having, because maybe it's just a spiritual experience and we need to figure out how to narrate that so you understand what's happening spiritually to Paul. No matter what, we don't know for certain what exactly happened to Saul that day. Uh, we do know that that moment is the beginning of something very different in his life. And so I think it's a different question for us to ask, well, what spiritually is happening in Paul's life versus just what physically happened on that occasion? Now, I think most of us shorthand this story into this like pinnacle story of conversion of maybe I have this one moment where I experience God and God just knocks me off of my path. And in that moment, my life has changed forever. Everything's perfect. I've got things fully figured out. Me and God are close, tight. We, we understand each other. But even in this story, it's not really paying attention to the time duration, that this is not just an instantaneous moment that Paul is just forever changed only based on this one little moment. In this story, what's uh, one amazing thing in it before we get to the duration is I love that Saul says, who are you, Lord? Because he doesn't question whether it's God talking to him. But who are you, Lord? And then he finds out Jesus is Lord, and he's very confused, I'm sure, in that moment. But we think about this as like, if I could just turn on the light switch, and then I'm suddenly changed, and maybe Saul can be suddenly changed. But in this story, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. He goes into fasting and prayer, saying, God, what happened? Am I okay? I, I've done all these awful things. How do I confess them? Who are you? What do I do with this information? He's got three days of prayer in, in darkness. And I wonder what the last time was that you took three days of, I'm not going to eat or drink, I'm just praying my heart out for something. I guarantee you that doesn't feel instantaneous. When you spend three days hungry, you're like, ah, I, I got to make this decision. I got bread here today. Oh, I'm hungry. Um, when you're hungry and thirsty, that can feel like a long time to wait three days saying, God, I, I need to understand. Tell me what I'm here for. Tell me how to make this better. How do I go forward? And so we have at least three days of this story not just being an instantaneous thing. Then we have God talking to Ananias. Ananias, I love his back and forth with God in a series where it's okay to ask questions. Ananias is like, God, are you sure I should go talk to Saul? I've got some ideas on this, God. <laughs> I, I could go somewhere else. You know, I could talk to somebody else. Who, who would you like? I'll, I'll take anybody else. But Ananias uh, has to make the trip to go help Saul. And that's not like I hear the word and I just flip a switch and it's done. But I've got to walk that path to Saul's house where he's staying at, with Judas there. And I've got to walk in there. I've got to talk to Saul. I've got to pray for him. And then I've got to trust that this is going to work out. And he's going to help in the baptism. He's going to walk with Saul in those next days. But this is not an instantaneous thing for Ananias. When Paul tells his own story in Galatians, at the beginning of Galatians, he talks about that when he had this kind of experience for himself, he went into the Arabah, the desert. He went into the wilderness. And if you've ever been to this region, there is definitely wilderness out there. And it's unclear how long he spent in the wilderness. The grammar's a little confusing. He either spent three years in the wilderness and then he goes back to Damascus 
uh, or he goes out in the wilderness and eventually comes back to Damascus and spends three years in Damascus. It's a little unclear. But he spends a period of time thinking about what has happened, figuring it out. Maybe he's reading scripture. Maybe he's trying to understand how to make sense of Jesus and the, and the text that he had available to him. And after that period in Galatians, he then goes to Jerusalem to meet the disciples and tell a little bit of his own story, hear from them, hear their reaction, see if they're going to be antagonists or going to be supportive of him. But it's really strange for us just to feel like Saul one day became Paul and he's, his life is just fully different and everybody's bought in and everything's happy and great. When he has days where he's He's fasting. He's saying, God, give me the answers. God, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Spends time out in the wilderness. I guarantee you when he's going into each of these cities later in his life and they start persecuting him, they want to arrest him, he's spending some time praying and asking God, what, what's going on here? I think we all want the light turning on version of the story. We want the microwave discipleship. God, is there a way I can just hit the quick start button? And let's just get this over with, right? Just get me to the next spot. Get me to the next level. Let's just upgrade and be done with it. God, just be quick about it. And, uh, you know, it's baseball season. I was thinking about, you, you watch some players who go through baseball and they're trying to hit the ball out of the park every time. And you're like, hey, at some point, settle down. Just getting on base could be helpful for a little while. You don't always have to swing for the fences. But we sometimes want only that. It's either home run or nothing for us in our lives and our spiritual walks of just, I want everything or nothing. And so when you start thinking in that way of like, my story has to be amazing or I'm nothing. You start doubting your own faith life. You start doubting where you stand with God. You're like, you know, I... I don't have those big giant mile markers. Maybe my faith's not genuine. Maybe it's not real. Because I don't see that instantaneous, amazing thing that I wish I could see. For most of us, we have a slow discipleship. We have a long journey. And we never want to confuse that with just, we've spent a lot of time in something. Because you can spend a lot of time never changing. And you can get to the end of your life and say, I wish I'd worked on some things. Um, but, but maybe, maybe time doesn't just do it on its own. But there's something in our lives that we need to spend time with God. That there's something to, you know, if you just committed to, I'm just going to spend 15 minutes reading scripture every day. Like what could happen in 15 minutes? But you spend a little bit of time intentionally with God over time and ask what God might do in your life. How might God grow in you? How might you see people differently? How might you hear people differently? If we just are willing to go in that long-term, slow discipleship process that doesn't look flashy and exciting, but is every bit as real and important. And I wonder how many of us are willing to take that slow journey. You know, we want to read Paul's story really fast in this text, but you think about the entire Gospels. The disciples' journeys were slow. They're on a lot of journeys with Jesus. They're asking questions. They're getting things wrong. And that's most of our stories. And it's okay to be in the midst of that story. And so are we willing to slow down and to just say, yes, I'm going to say yes to a small thing with God right now. 
you know, maybe uh, a little bit of, I, I always say, nutritionally, you know your bodies, talk to your doctors uh, before you just widespread say, hey, go fast. But there's something powerful of like, I'm going to be intentional about asking something of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to, I'm going to fast. I'm going to do all I can to just spend some time with God because I, I value hearing what I should be up to right now in this particular thing. And fasting does not happen instantaneous. And so are we willing to go into that slow mode? And are we willing to be people like Paul who are able to get knocked off of our paths and who don't just immediately get angry about it and upset? You know, I'm sure Ananias had other plans that day. It was not about going to that Saul guy. But how do we respond when God messes with our story? And there's a slight veering path to our path and do we get angry about it? Do we want to just vent to everybody about it? Or do we say, I wonder what God might do on this new path? You might have a relationship that you were really hopeful for and it falls apart and you say, God, that was not fun. That was painful. But what am I supposed to do now? Maybe you have something better for me. Maybe there's a healing I didn't expect. Maybe you've had a work situation and, and, and you love that work and then something happens and it just, it's all kind of crumbling and falling apart and you're like, you know, God, why, why did my work have to be like this exhausting, this much of a pain, this irritating? But maybe there's something healing, something more on the other side of that horizon. Most of us want microwave blessings and discipleship and great things but are we willing to do the long, slow process of just saying yes to God along the way? And so I, I encourage you to be willing and open and embrace that maybe there's some things that you are dead set on. Your eyes are like, I know this is where I'm supposed to go. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And when it gets cloudy and when God throws all sorts of unclarity into that and throws you off the path, that you might be receptive, open-handed, and then find clarity in God to take new steps. And maybe you and God are like, we're on a really nice, clear path and God's not veering you. But maybe God has some people in your life that you're not aware of that you can be asking God, who should I see? Who do I need to go minister to? Who do I need to go be a friend to? Who do I need to go mentor? Who needs help? Now, in the story, Ananias or the people that were with Saul, they were not like dragging him unwillingly down the Damascus road of like, he needed someone to guide him, to walk him on the path. Ananias hears that God has been already giving visions to Saul and to Ananias. Uh, there are certain people that maybe it's not that right time yet, and that doesn't mean you should just force it on them or drag them into the spiritual talk that you think you should have. But where there's receptivity, where there's an openness, where God opens doors, walk through them. And know that the instant answers might not be there. The person might not make the choices you think they should make. It might not turn out the way you expect it to do. But maybe long term, God has a greater plan than what you can see right in front of you. And so today, I hope that you might think about your own journey with God and that you might be mindful of the moments that God has shaped parts of your life, that things you didn't expect to ever be true about you are true now, that maybe you could praise God and celebrate that God has done something in your life. And maybe we give thanks to God. When we sing songs to God, we say, you know, thank you, Lord, because I couldn't be this way without you. 
and we should be thankful. But maybe you have been like Saul and you're like, I'm going on a path and I've been, I thought I was somewhere spiritually with God, but I recognize I have not been able to identify who God is. I have no idea who Lord is. Uh, And so you're in the midst of an early stages of a new movement of God in your life. And it's okay to just admit, hey, I feel like I'm starting over here. And it's safe to do that with God. Uh, And if you're feeling like you're feeling uncertain of where you're at with God, find somebody that you can say, hey, can I just talk to you about what's going on in my life? Can can we pray together? Can we talk about scripture together? Can can we just do this journey together? Because we don't have to do this alone. And if there's anybody who assumed that they probably were going to have to do this journey alone, it would have been Saul. Because if you became convinced that Christianity was the right path and you had just been harming it, that is a tough situation to be in because you're like, I think this is the way and how on earth am I ever going to be accepted on it? But the story of the Gospels is is that this abundant, open-handed, welcoming hospitality is offered to everybody. People who expect it and people who don't. To rich and poor, men and women, free and slaves, all may come to uh, the table together. And so in just a little while, we're going to have communion together. We're going to have that time to respond to God and to say yes to God, to embrace what God might do in our lives. But I hope it doesn't just stay in this moment, because again, we don't need just the light switch. It's about our whole lives. And so may we reflect on that today and throughout the week and say yes to God, wherever God is. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I just pray for... Uh, the folks who are worshiping with us today, that, that we might all feel your loving embrace, that we might feel not your judgments, your distance or separation, but we might feel close to you, that you might relieve the anxieties where they are un, uh, unhelpful and unnecessary, that we might delight in you more than whatever other things come uh, to distract us, Lord, I ask that you might give us the patience to be willing to commit to the life you have in front of us. I ask that you might help us to extend that patience to those around us when they've uh, fallen short of what our hopes and expectations are. Lord, I ask that you might help us to be reflective of you, that we might encourage those around us to better follow you, that we might Uh, be there to find support, to be gracious, to be kind. Lord, we just ask that you might continually make us aware of where you are in our lives and the world around us. Help us to be more like you today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.